Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Jason Yasinovich all about emerging technology in marketing. From machine learning to the metaverse, the world of tech never stands still. And much of that constant flux directly influences what we do in marketing. It presents endless opportunities every time something changes for us to reach audiences in new and more meaningful ways. And that's basically what we're going to talk through today. Jason is a veteran of advertising and tech with over 25 years of experience fusing those two things together to create innovations, enhance customer experience, and ultimately transform and grow businesses. Having spent over a decade in total working in senior digital and innovation roles at Havas, an agency group who handles some of the world's most loved brands, as well as stints at ad innovation leaders like RGA, Jason is now VP of Technology at North Highland in New York, a leading change and transformation consulting firm. Jason, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Will. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on because, um, yeah, you're someone who's, like I say, you've got a really interesting background having kind of worked at these big agencies and innovation's been part of your, well, it's been in your job title and it's been part of your, what you've been doing for years. So I'm really interested to kind of get a sense on, you know, where we're at with that stuff, where we're at with innovation in marketing and the, like I say, the fusing of uh, tech and advertising. So I suppose just to kind of kick off, you know, give us your perspective. Where are we? What is the current state of tech? What are the hot topics that are getting people excited in your world at the moment? It's truly an exciting time right now, Will, because if anything, you know, the global pandemic has accelerated transformation. It's accelerated the need for innovation. Um, and, and we see this every day now. And th- that probably transcends marketing. It's, you know, the... the Companies themselves, enterprises need to determine if they're, you know, going to evolve um, and turn into the next generation of relevance, or try to maintain and you know, stay the status quo, or you know, recede into irrelevance. And that the we've been talking about the pace of acceleration, accelerating for years. The proof point really came in, you know, due to the due to the, due to COVID. Um, and some people get that, right? And some people are embracing it and have doubled down and are using this as an opportune time to invest in and fast forward innovation spending, digital spending. Others are seeking this, quote, return to the new, the, net, the old normal or the new normal. Um, I, I think that's just balderdash because the, you know, the genie's out, um, can't put her back in the bottle and that notion of returning back to it was is a prehistoric concept. So to answer your question, the nature of innovation is accelerating. And I think digital technology has got a shot in the arm. Um, it's got its booster shot itself. And, and enterprises and companies and brands that have the wherewithal to double down in that are not only succeeding now, but are poised to maintain, to grow their market share, to get market dominance, to eat their competitors, to grow. Um, so it's an exciting time, very exciting time. I mean, every day I wake up, rip-roaring, ready to go because of the opportunity that's there. 
And, and the desire and ambition of a lot of the companies that are out there that get it are really pushing the envelope. So it's a good time to be in the biz. And what are the specific types of technology that people are getting excited about at the moment? Well, it depends. Like, I guess under the context of marketing, if we want to talk about marketing um, as a starting point today, um, the impact of digital has been uh, tremendous. Um, companies have seen now, due to COVID, perhaps the uh, bloated agency environment is not necessarily as necessary as it was. Um, agencies themselves have managed to keep the um, business going, keep doing their jobs um, without necessarily going to work for the most part, physically going to work at the office, I mean. Um, so the notion of what is the overhead that comes with that is drawn into question. Um, you know, lucky for me, I was, I was thinking about this um, a couple of years back, and you know, that was one of the reasons I decided to, to sort of leave the holding company big agency game and, and go out in consulting, is I felt that mature brand marketers, CMOs, tech-enabled, tech-forward leaders would realize the power of digital to increase their own internal capability. And I felt there was a pendulum shift away from dependence on big agencies to internalizing that capability in their firm, using the best talent to come in when they needed to come in, especially in creative, um, and, and getting better output at a lower cost, at a higher velocity. Um, I, of course, had no idea COVID was coming or anything like that, but that accelerated that in a big way. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to bash big agencies. I, you know, obviously respect them and have, have tremendous, they deliver tremendous value. But I see now a lot of brand leaders questioning that relationship and, and bringing technology in to enable them to accelerate their own efforts, either by building internal capability or, or moving faster. And so you ask, what is the nature of the technology? Um, within digital advertising, we obviously have monoliths that control the market. And you know, we could talk about that being good or bad, but um, the truth is there are sophisticated platforms that enable smart marketers to really precisely target, to have incredible precision and effectiveness on media spend. And so when you internalize that capability and you start realizing the value of that at scale, that's a fundamental shift in the nature of how technology enables brand marketers to hit their targets. Yeah, I mean, technology has encroached on what agencies do quite a bit, hasn't it? I mean, you think particularly about media agencies, and I remember a time when, you know, people weren't even running their own kind of social media ad campaigns, and a lot of big brands aren't still, obviously, but, you know, a couple of tools and a bit of a upskilling, you know, and the main platforms, and you can basically be your own media agency. It's maybe not the same with creative because there's a bit more of that sort of secret source there. But again, you know, there are technologies that are, are allowing that. And of course, there's like, you know, AI-driven copywriting and probably design is around the corner. Um, so do you think that, you know, do you think that the agency relationship is going to change their place is going to change how and how are they adapting to this i can't say that i'm an expert now that I, i'm a few years out of you know you know leading one of those large agencies um but there is uh there's always been a desire um within the big agencies to figure out the digital thing right and i, I always joke it you know 
you can tell an agency's sophistication on where the digital word enters the deck in the pitch. Um, uh, if it's at the very start and it's in the ingredient, then you know usually you can lean forward a little more. Others push it at the back, and um, you know there's a regression back to oh well, well make sure you, you bookend it with the digital ideas, um, and so that that shows you know that your level of sophistication um, right there, but. They, the nature of the relationship has changed because for several years now, they haven't been able to go to the fancy lunch and to go down and have the big reveal happen. Um, and that's been done through technology, through Zoom meetings, through team meetings. Um, and so like I remember making sure you get the big car to bring the big boards out to show the big idea to the, to the big client and, and the big song and dance, the reveal, if you will, of the big idea. Um, that that in itself has been challenged by the global pandemic. So the the nature of the creative um, has impacted that. Um, you know, obviously there's the the media side of the business and the creative side of the business, and that sometimes that's an artificial split. Um, so technology has d- obviously had tremendous impact on the media side in a bigger way. Um, you see that from the standpoint of, of automated targeting, automated um, buying, um, you know, rolling out your segmentation to to the to the ad networks. Um, so you can have really precise reach and um, and even serve dynamic creative to, based on different people based on, you know, the last touch they had, which makes it very relevant, you know, a la uh, Instagram marketing. Um, and so that's very successful. Um, and I'm sure you, me, and many of the listeners have bought that thing that was just in their feed because it was so well targeted and so timely. And so that that's really impactful. Um, in, t- in terms of AI, I mean, there was another question you asked about AI and the power of AI. You know, I've been fascinated with this forever, and you know, was lucky enough to have some some expertise in in in, ro- in supporting uh, enterprise technology companies rolling out their AI efforts. Um, and looking back on that now, I felt that the sizzle was being sold a little more than the substance, or I guess you, as you guys would say, the sausage. Um, and so there was an expectation there that, you know, it's this holy grail, this this thing that's going to come in and just solve all the problems and just just get the AI guys on it and it's going to solve it. Um, and, you know, we've learned now and there's obviously a lot of lessons in terms of implicit bias, in terms of, you know, training the algorithms to look at diversity and inclusion in terms of images and perspective. Um, and if anything, there might be a bit of a, a pause or a hesitation to go all in on that, um, you know, because of that. Um, that being said, very powerful, and if you know, and you know, my, myself, others have had tremendous uh, success in examples of, of using it to uh, automate many parts, cumbersome part of the process. You know, we often speak of taking the toil out of the effort, and so AI can do a lot of that. Um, and so, if, if you set it up um, in the right way and make the investment um, in the algorithms, specifically from the standpoint of putting the end user at the center of that from a from an ethical standpoint, then that's the first step. Um, then you could scale and you could scale globally and you could scale um, to many markets and you could scale through different languages and, and tailor your creative and your media dynamically through the use of those tools. Give me a really specific example of how you've utilized AI uh, to, to kind of add value somewhere in the uh, user experience or the customer experience. I've used AI for is understanding the customer journey and dynamically determining where the customer need is um, based on the signals. And so using it as a listening tool to 
evaluate the things that the customer or the user is doing to enable the right outcome to be presented to them in the right way. And so you think about um, a person car shopping and looking around, looking for cars, and obviously you've got the um, evidence of what they've been searching and where they've been going and all their cookie trails. Um, and um, obviously we can talk about the cookie this future in the future, but the ability now to use those intent signals to show um, where what they're looking for um, opens up a very different um, outcome. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we were working with a large uh, automotive manufacturer. I can't say the brand, um, but they um, had a, a presupposition about their target buyer, um, let's say being a white male. And they all their targeting was there, all their segmentation, their user groups were all set up on the white male. Um, what came out of uh, using AI listening tools and dynamic customer journey mapping was the fact that the primary buyer was actually an Asian female. Um, and this, this was in North America. Um, and so there was doubt amongst the executive leadership team. What do you mean? And so we said, well, let's, let's dynamically try it with um, creative that demonstrates different ethnic viewpoints and see what the results um, indicate. And so by listening to signals that enabled that level of sophistication and dynamically serving creative that resonated with that, with with the, the newfound target, we saw double-digit increase in car sales. Wow, God, that's that's quite quite the result. Um, that's definitely interesting how, how kind of AI can do that, you know, and kind of get gain those insights. Um, uh, you know, is that is that the sort of thing that's just the the kind of just available to big agencies and big brands, or is this the sort of thing a kind of small business can do? Well, I mean, some of that's inside of the digital platforms that you use every day. Um, so Google, Facebook, um, you know, Microsoft, et cetera, LinkedIn, you know, they're all using um, intelligent AI-driven targeting to empower their platforms. So everybody has access to versions of that by using the big platforms. You know, custom uh, journey mapping software, there's a, a, a few really solid, um, I'd call them, not startups, but established new companies that are putting that application into the cloud, so you could use it as a service, um, and and you know map that against your customer intent models to 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 generate really sophisticated um, uh, journey mapping targeting equations um, dynamically. But that does require a level of investment. It does require a level of sophistication of the marketer to understand that. Um, and you know many traditional brands, when they're thinking global campaign, you know they may not choose to go down that route. Um, so we're seeing examples of that um, and definitely seeing a growth in that area. But if you think about the big global giant campaigns, you know, there's usually, uh, you know, they're speaking of the B with the capital, you know, brand with the capital B and, you know, maybe don't want to have, you know, thousands of different um, permutations of the brand message. So it, it depends on where they are, really. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game, sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Okay, well, let's um, just think about some other specific um, technologies um, you know, AR and, and the metaverse been in the news quite a lot lately, obviously, because, um, you know, Facebook's kind of 
rebrand as a corporate entity to Meta and and all the talk of the metaverse that's been going on there for a while. Um, I mean, it, it, there is a level of plausibility about that as being the future. I mean, I think there's there's a there's a level of metaverseness in a lot of the technology that we're adopting at the moment, whether that's spatial audio in AirPods or you know AR in when you're buying furniture in apps and things like that. But um, do you see that coming to fruition in the way that Facebook or Meta uh, think it will? And do you think marketers will have a place there? Well, I have to say, I'm glad you asked this question, first of all, because um, I, have, I have to say I'm, I'm short on Meta. I'm, and I want to believe and have for the long time, for a long time felt that this was a critical area of, of not only experimentation and, and, and that, but you know, to really have a strategy. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine um, about this, and he made a joke, and um, I'm just going to steal his joke, and said, well, if a global can pandemic can't make me interested in AR, what can? Here I am locked at home by myself, sick of my family, trapped in my house, and I still don't put on the goggles. Well, hmm, what's going to make me want to put it on? And so, you know, let's, let's take a positive course, and let's say that... Um, that maybe uh, Zuckerberg was tongue in cheek and did read Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash and did see that the metaverse was meant, was you know engineered to a uh, by to, to perhaps not intentionally but mimic the the inherent problems in the real world um, and by ch- choosing the name he was doing it tongue in cheek perhaps but um, it it did seem to me that even the casual observer of of a, somebody watching Ready Player One would not want to necessarily put themselves in the position of the one trying to own the whole thing. So it, it to me, seems very hubristic to say that, you, you know, we're all going to go to that platform, that one platform, um, especially due to, you know, the knowledge now of everybody about Facebook and their history of sort of um, putting business before privacy. Um, but let's just assume that, you know, there's logic and there's money there that proves that to be the case. Then um, it reminds me of the time back back when people were saying, uh, before you know, the internet was the internet, um, and people were, were were saying, "Well, you got to have a you got to have an internet strategy, right?" As opposed to like a, a meta strategy, um, uh, and so it's it, that it shows a bit of naivety in in that regard to me, um, because can one firm be the place, the only thing that that happens? You know, that's like trying to own the internet, the next version of the internet. To me, it's going to be a multitude of different experiences um, rather than a single. Um, um, location that we all go to now maybe that i'm totally old, the old guy here and not getting it right and you know everybody on facebook is just going to pop on the bo- the goggles and just you know move into that into that um experience so i look for proof points i look for proof points and the two areas i look for proof points are back to uh you know the common thing do i see my kids who are high schoolers um buying into it or do i see my parents buying into it so i look at both ends of the spectrum um and and I don't see either of them, and I, I don't have uh, examples of, of that I've seen where people have said, "Oh my God, I did this, and the ROI of this was 100x, um, and it's, it really, it really was amazing." So I look at it at, at right now as an experimental place to to have a bit of fun and um, and and mess around and think about what your brand experience can be in that regard. Um, but if you've done any of the if the the teams meetings where we all are avatars. Um, you know, it, it is a cartoonish experience. It doesn't, um, even, the, even the notion when you go into the view where we're all in the, in the um, 
not not in our boxes, but you know, in our seats in a room, um, it it is a different experience, and um, we still need to see people's faces. I believe a three D representation of of a face for me is not the same experience um, in the business world. Um, so now that being the case, I am a gamer. I spend a lot of time playing games. I play games with my kids, and so so you could say is FIFA meta. Look at look at FIFA, or you know, look at Call of Duty. Those are metaverse examples. Or Roblox. Yeah, sure. Um, my, Minecraft, right? So these are all examples of what I would say many metas um, of, or established brands in their own right, their own universes that we go in and we have experiences in. And so, sure, I, as a brand, I could buy media inside FIFA 2023 and put my brand up in the virtual stadiums and put my logo on T-shirts. That's really resembling the common world that we live in now. I don't think that's evolved yet or... Um, Perhaps it's incremental. It's replicating the current environment. This notion of a net new metaverse experience when there's a, brand, a break, great brand breakthrough that is fundamentally transformational. I'm keen to see it. Bring it on, I say. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm a bit short on it and it's a bit of hype. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's, that's a really good point about, you know, looking down and up in terms of uh, looking at your kids and looking at your parents, you know, and looking at both ends of that spectrum. Um I mean, I think what interests me about things like that is what, you know, from a marketing point of view, like what role can brands play there? If you remember when social media first um, became interesting for brands, um, it was kind of, um, uh, it was an an odd fitting shoe to put on for a brand to enter social media. They were entering these kind of person sized spaces that were meant for people to connect with each other. And then, and then before we knew it, we're, we're kind of bantering with like Coca-Cola and, you know, Tesco and Walmart and, and, and having conversations with them as if they're people in social spaces. And that's always been a bit awkward. Um, and you think back to second life in the noughties where brands tried to have a presence there and it was usually pretty disastrous. So it will be interesting to see, that because Facebook is so dependent on on brands uh, to keep the lights on. Um, so, uh, but but thinking about that and thinking about you know brands and 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 tech, um, in a, you you know you work with innovation. You you kind of work with innovation in lots of different ways. Whose job do you think it is in a company to kind of drive innovation? Where should that come from within a business, in your opinion? That's a very good question, Will. Innovation, like transformation, needs to be both top-down and bottom-up, right? And you know, we've done a lot of work recently in even defining what the word digital means to, to, to people and to brands. And you know, a lot of C-suite folks are asking, well, what do you mean by that? What does that really mean? Can you, can, can you get clarity on that? So you know, we've really tried to define digital and we've come out of, with it in a really simplistic way of defining it as a thing in a way. And by that, I mean thing being the technology, the use of the applications, data and analytics at the core, and the way being a focus of agility and flexibility and working in agile ways of working. And those two things together, I think are the key ingredients of that. So then you think, well, how do we apply that to net new things? And so for me, innovation is tied to digital because you're going to be using technology and you're going to be listening and changing and pivoting based on the signals that you get and using the data that comes out of that experiences to to enable either doubling down on that or realizing that's a mistake so 
brands should do that in the metaverse and experiment and have a plan and figure it out. And they should also do that in all areas and think about how that aligns with where they're going. Um, so that ladders up to, for me, what's your strategy of your, of your future? And there's many vectors these brands and these companies can, can go on. And so to answer that question, I think you need to know what your strategy is for evolution um, for the business. Um, and so innovation is a big part of that. And so many companies experiment and, you know, uh, an example is often seen as, oh, get those guys in the basement to go mess around with that a little bit and see if it validates, get a proof of concept out. Um, and, you know, the notion of it elevating from the guys in the basement through that sort of middle part of the company, the frozen middle is the term that's often seen where people are very much like, I know my job, I'm doing my job very well. And I'm, I know how to do that very well. And why, why should I go about changing it? Because I've been doing it for 15, 20 years. And look, I'm doing, I'm very successful. I have all these awards on my wall. Um, there's resistance to change and innovation at that frozen middle. So the job of who owns this needs to be the top of the firm that needs to create new mandates to the middle management, to the frozen middle, new KPIs that reward that behavior um, and tie it to their compensation. So you can't do that without having the guys at the top buy into it. Now, back to where I started the beginning of this conversation, the, my personal belief is that the global pandemic has separated many firms, both brand leaders and CEOs, as getting it in terms of what they need to do to evolve and others that are not. So will that gap continue? We'll see. Time will tell. But what I am seeing is the companies that are doubling down on it right now are grabbing market share, are growing, and, and are, especially if they do it in the right way, listening to their customers, using data to make those decisions. That's, that's where I would bet. So um, that means Comes, sometimes it comes from the chief customer officer, um, com comes from the chief marketing officer. It has to then move through operations and you know, then people's jobs are different and it moves into workforce and, and, and really HR as well. So I, I think it becomes um, a centerpiece of the C-suite in terms of the vision of their, the, their strategy, their transformation journey. And then it comes manifest through the entire organization. It's tricky, isn't it? It's... The people, the C-suite and, and, and senior management and, and management in general are generally the least in, I mean, you know, I'm making a sweeping generalization. They're generally the least in touch with emerging trends. They're generally too busy. They're maybe a bit too old to care. And so the, the, it's like, my, uh, there's a question somewhere here, but it's, what is the strategy? You know, a new the new TikTok comes along. How do you dip your toe in? Do we need a strategy? Do we need to get buy-in from senior stakeholders? Is there a way to kind of casually dip a toe in and and see if it works? Who does that? Does it need a lot of? Does that need a lot of kind of you know, um, sign off or or what? You know, how how do we kind of do that? Because in the UK, there's something that's happened recently which I think is really interesting, where the staff of big retail stores. Some of them have become so popular that their TikTok accounts are much bigger than the brand's TikTok account. And so the brand has gone, hang on a minute, Stephen in, you know, Manchester, he's got a way bigger following than us. He can now be a brand ambassador. We'll make that part of his job. They didn't plan that or see it coming. And I think that's typical because... Of course, Stephen was going to be the first person to get on TikTok and go viral on TikTok because these big brands are terrible at creating TikTok content. So I suppose that's that's the disconnect. I don't quite get if we can have a strategy for that or should we or how, how do we manage that as, as brands? I think you should allocate a portion of the budget for an experimentation um, zone. 
you know, whether it's 10%, 20%, 5%, you know, I'm not sure, depends on the business and the, and the brand and the, and the line of business that they're in, but you need to be able to be flexible enough to have many horses in the future race using, back to what I meant about being digital, using technology and flexibility or agile ways of working to listen to those signals and move quickly and uh, adapt faster than the competition to those market opportunities. So Stephen would never have been on, on um, the brand ambassador if they if if they hadn't let the, the you know the employees be out on these platforms. So there needs to be an openness of culture and a culture of experimentation and the ability to pivot and move quickly when you see things moving well, double down on it and support it. And you know in this instance, Stephen is the ambassador. You know empower him and his crew to, to and take the brand message um, through to the new platform. Um, that requires a, a sophisticated CMO to be comfortable enough. And it can't be a command and control type of thing where they're like, you must only speak the brand promise in this way um, because that's, those, are, those messages are not necessarily authentic in the new medium. Um, so that's my, my vote is, you know, enable a portion of the budget to be out there to test, to learn. Um, and then it moves from the guys in the basement to being in the boardroom. You know, it's, it, TikTok's an interesting thing. We talk about TikTok for a second, um, um, you know, because there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions of uh, how TikTok is so effective and so um, riveting. Um, and you know, for me, that you know, as a consumer, as a user, you know, you have to be in there and uh, and check it out. And then all of a sudden, you look up and it's been it's an hour. Um, and you've like, where'd that go? So there is a compelling, um, compelling nature to the, the short form uh, narrative. And um, what I'm seeing now is a lot of uh, authentic influencers as opposed to paid influencers or celebrity influencers really punch above their weight. And, and that's one of the things I like about TikTok is that you have these folks that come out of, out of the woodwork that are really authentic in, in their voice, not necessarily aligned with the corporate mandate, but yet hysterical or just really cutting through and and that's refreshing it's really just refreshing to, to you know laugh out loud from a 20 second um you know little video so really interesting space for brands to work in um and it's not the same rules you can't you can't go in there and say you know must be this color must be this thing um so for me i think no. when you're in that you have to focus on humor and not taking yourself too seriously um, and you know, just you know, take the piss out of yourself a little bit, and that that is sometimes very hard for brands to to open up. Social media all had that same lesson. We've learned that lesson already, um, and and you know, the notion of mandating it um, and must be this thing and turns into the you know, to use the metaphor of the cocktail party, the the brand coming in the room, starting to talk about himself really loudly over everybody else. You know, that's not how cocktail parties work. Um, wait to be asked. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think a lot of brands still don't know what to do with it because the thing is for that high level of authenticity, we give up a lot um, of control. It's so algorithmically driven, TikTok. There's so, it's so random and it is very hard to yeah, build audiences in a predictable way. Yes, there's an ad product, but you know, um, I think uh, I think for a lot of brands, it actually might not even make sense for them to use it. I think it's it's a really hard hard one to crack. It is pushing us, it, like you say, in in a similar way that social media pushed us all those years ago. Um, it's pushing us further into the kind of more human, authentic web. Um, 
So, okay, think thinking about, I'm just coming back to this, um, you know, I, I love the idea of this kind of, you know, you fusing um, advertising and tech over the years. Um, how are how are agencies or marketers or marketing teams leveraging tech? Like, are you seeing them building their own products um, and are they upskilling enough? Or are, you know, agents, do you think agencies are in danger of sort of falling behind the curve? Where are we at with that from your point of view? From my point of view, I, you know, my, my feet showed my belief several years ago when I chose to move to a consulting. Um, and that wasn't that I had any negative thing to say about agencies. Uh, you know, they're fantastic and the work that they do is amazing. Um, so no no disrespect there, and um, the leadership in many of of the larger um, entities, I should say, in some of the entities, haven't really embedded this notion of what technology is and does from a functional standpoint. So if you have examples of leaders that get that, and there are many that do, then they can roll out products and services that help them augment their business in a big way. So it is happening. Where I'm seeing it happen in more impactful and more um, dynamic ways is in smaller agencies who have found a niche, an edge, and have done some really interesting stuff. Obviously, we talked enough about influencers, and we don't need to talk about that um, anymore because there's a lot there. But SaaS companies that are building marketing solutions that enable agencies to use the outcomes um, and brands themselves to use the outcomes are, is a really hot space. So in the MarTech space, um, that, that's where the bigger, more successful products that I've been seeing uh, use. There may be some examples that I don't know yet. Um, but the notion of a product culture within a firm is hard to pivot to if you don't have it in there initially because... Um, even the notion of building products um, superimposes that, you know, a traditional leadership team would say, oh, I know what the customer wants. I'm going to go out and build this thing, like the, the Ford way, when the modern way is really to understand the user and have it grow and, you know, adapt and change the product to it. Um, that doesn't necessarily align with traditional brand message of, of the, you know, building the spot, right? So it's a different cultural um, paradigm in product development. Um, there are great examples of that. And I've worked for firms that have done a really good job in, in doing that. Um, the pure play private equity firms that are building the solutions now are outpacing, uh, in my view, the, the value of that capability. And so you see enterprises starting to bypass the agency um, and going directly to these platforms to enable the outcomes that they, that they want because of the scale they can provide, because of the ability to uh, find those insights at scale. So like we... Example of that is um, there's a SaaS um, company partner of ours named Dakota, who we've had great success in processing customer um, customer intent models through things like chat, through conversations, through the multitude of signals that you can get from them. But processing it at tremendous scale, we're talking hundreds or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of users in in a very very fast period of time because they built a platform on top of the cloud that can scale and and map that against the customer intent model. So you look at a platform like that, that's something that was built by a bunch of people who did a really focused effort understanding what the customer need was. Um, typical agencies won't spend the millions of dollars to do that. 
that they will do a smaller scale thing. Um, again, I'm generalizing, so there's probably examples of out there and hope that your pod doesn't get blown up by people saying, oh my God, you didn't see my thing because it's amazing. But um, the, the narrow focus that comes from uh, a business of people who are focused on a mission of solving that problem is a different business and different process than an agency trying to augment their old model with a new tool. It's evolutionary versus um, you know, reactionary, right? Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, and I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of marketers and agencies are employing the the a wealth. I think an exploding wealth of automation and uh, no code tools. Right? You know, um, there seems to be a tool for everything these days. Whether it's yeah, um, these kind of no code no code tools where you can build kind of databases and automation flows just with like you know fr- user friendly interfaces. And it's been a huge shift for the modern marketer in recent years. Um, we you know, sim- yeah, marketers are being told all the time they need to understand the technical side of things more. But at the same time, more heavy technical, you know, uh, weapons are being put at our disposal, our disposal through these kind of very simple interfaces. So, um, but what I see is that there, these sort of automation tools no-code tools seem to be best adopted by kind of small, agile e-commerce startups. Are the bigger brands and agencies leveraging, for instance, automation in the same way? Yes and no. It's, um, the, the future is not evenly spread there, Will. There, some, some are. Um, if there's a C- technology person at the C-suite that's involved in this, there's a greater preponderance or tendency to enable that to happen because there's a culture of understanding the nature of digital technology at the core of the business. If you, if you have, uh, you know, missing that, then, um, and this is both for agency and for brand uh, or, for, or for firm, um, then you have a less of an understanding and desire to know what that means and, and a, an, accept, an acceptability or a preponderance to experiment and test and learn. So what I've, I've seen some great examples of huge giant companies, pharma, financial firms, et cetera, um, create their own internal culture um, around internalizing what would be a traditional outsourced marketing function um, by embracing these type of low no-code tools. Uh, even had a major marketer recently say to me, hey, can you, do you think we could put an agile process on media buying? How, what would that look like? You know, to just think about it, like changing our media buy like all the time. Um, and, and so then you're like, ding, ding, ding. Okay, so you're, uh, you, 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 you bought the, you drank the Kool-Aid, you're on the hook. Um, that would never be heard of before. That no, even that question wouldn't be asked because you'd be locked in by your agency for a twelve-month media buy, and you'd be locked in. Now, some things you still have to lock in on, right? Like big um, must must tentpole events, um, you know, sports events, uh, you know, large television events, of which there's maybe a dozen. But a lot of brands can't afford to play it, pay it, pay to play at that level. So uh, they they the tools that are you speak of and the plethora of outcomes presuppose that you're running an agile business and you're able to um, you know, move at the speed of digital and not everybody is. So that, I think that's why you're seeing the smaller upstarts, you're seeing these pure plays um, grab market share because they're able to move and spin up things and move quickly and capture market opportunities um, and use these embedded tools to um, bypass the traditional supply chains and go direct to the consumer. So even if you look at things like um, uh, coffee, for example, um, traditionally you buy that at the grocery store or at the shop, but 
you know, subscription-based models of uh, small batch coffee people bypassing the traditional distribution mechanism and going direct to consumer. That that's a good example of a small business grabbing market share and having you know great success by using these tools. Yes, I mean, and just as an aside, you talk about direct to consumer. I mean, that's been a huge shift, partly because of the pandemic, hasn't it? Because of you know the way we've been living. Um, are a lot of your clients coming to you with the kind of the DTC problem and, and how to solve it? It's definitely a top of the list of everybody. Um, they're thinking about it, you know, you know, now that I'm in sort of the consultancy side, you know, typically the questions are a bit more than just a marketing question. It's about how to operationalize the new customer insight in the business. Marketing is one of the outcomes that happens. Um, but every business that, that I'm seeing that has embraced the opportunity is experimenting with these traditional, uh, not, or I would say non-traditional distribution channels. How do I get my product to the, to the end user faster? How do I enable um, uh, the presupposed high level functionality we have because of things like Amazon and Facebook and Google that just work at scale? Um, and like an example of a pharmaceutical company that we're doing work on and you know they were they were shipping um, very expensive drugs um, through very expensive couriers to people that really needed these things, um, and even you know things like uh, organ transplants and stuff like that would be a helicopter to the hospital type of thing. Yet there's a guy knocking on the back door of the hospital saying, "I got your delivery here." Like, okay, ready? Um, and you're like, "It's somebody's liver <laughs> or something," and and there was no real time tracking of these products yet. I could know that I got my toothpaste coming from Amazon, and I could see where the truck is, right? So there's an expectation from the consumer now where I need to know where my thing is. I want to see it on a map, and um, and if you're not providing that, well, then you're going to go somewhere else. Um, and so that that's an, that's that's where the customer transformation that's happened because of because of COVID and because of the impact of digital transforms a, a business that you wouldn't you wouldn't think about that. Historically, as a as even a D to C thing, it was a B to B to C thing, but now people want to know where that is, and they want to pull it up on their phone and and actually know where the product is. So that impact is is going to transform the biz, all these businesses in a big way. Even tires, for example, buying tires for your auto. There's an example where you used to go through this horrific experience of like going to the tire store and like, am I buying the right tire? Am I buying the wrong tire? Uh, I heard 30% of auto, autos, new autos were sold online over the past year from 8% a year ago. So you, you, whether that, that stat is valid or not, that was something I read or heard on a, um, recently. Those things are not going to go back. Like All of us would go way out of our way to go out of, to never have to deal with the dealer um, in that capacity again. So you, know, you go to those st- facilities that enable you to get what you want. Um, and sometimes we even pay more just to avoid that hassle take the toil away of dealing with that. Oh, I'm going to talk to my manager. See if I get the best price for you. You're like, we know the price. Come on. Right? That, 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 that schism or that bifurcation is, is going to continue. Yes. And that's interesting, isn't it? That with, with that kind of shift towards direct consumer, it's, it feels like it's, it feels like brands are concentrating on different parts of the customer journey. Like you, what you're talking about there is what gets referred to as the last mile, right? So, you know, some um, brands are really focusing on the kind of the, the the experience of when it's about to arrive. Some focus on the unboxing, some focus on post-purchase support, some focus on further up the funnel, you know, on the kind of very much the pre-purchase experience of actually buying the thing. 
Um, Tesla do a pretty good job of that. Um, um, and and they're very known. They're known for their post uh, purchase support as well. So, but where 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 are you seeing most of the challenge? Is it pre purchase? Is it during purchase? Or is it post purchase? Like, where are people kind of coming to you with the most problems? Do you think in that journey? Very good question. I, I don't think there's a single answer there. It depends on the level of maturity of the e-commerce infrastructure. Um, you know, Amazon's fortunate or unfortunate dominance has created an expectation that we should be able to buy anything with one click, right? And be at our house in 20 minutes. I'm exaggerating, but um, so there's a there's a desire to shorten the number of, of clicks that you have to get the purchase done. That's ubiquitous. Everybody's moving to this notion of minimize that. And that's table stakes now. So I think that's why people are focusing on the last miles because they need to make sure that the experience is continued. Um, but you know, I wouldn't recommend anybody to prioritize the unboxing experience unless they have a modern e-commerce platform working because you know, you're, you're spending your money at the wrong end of it. Um, uh, optimize that, use the tools that are out there to that enable um, that to happen at scale, especially for medium to small enterprise. You know, larger scale companies that are building their own uh, infrastructure in terms of distribution, um, you know, can use these tools to enable for, you know, notification of shipping, all that sort of stuff. You don't have to build all that yourself that exists as, as tools that are very commonly plugged into your um, customer notification system. So you don't have to build it all. You can utilize the tools that are out there. I'm fascinated, like what, what problems people come to you with? You know, you're a change and transformation consulting firm. What is the typical problem that people kind of present to you? It depends on where they are on their journey. So you know, back to this notion of what is digital. Um, many people, if the CMO comes to you, they're all about digitizing the customer experience. If you're talking about someone who's in workforce transformation, they're like, how do I make my employees in the workforce work at the speed of digital? If you're talking about an operation distribution, like what we were just discussing with e-commerce, it's about automation in the supply chain. It's about digitizing your supply chain and using automation tools to enable a diverse um, network of partners to enable uh, your supply chain to adapt as you need. So it's different things to different people based on where they think digital is. And so what you have to think about is they're really all connected, right? Um, the, the modern enterprise enables data to make decisions at scale across all of those touch points. And there's times we're brought in on all three of those areas. Other times we're brought in because there's been an identified shortfalling in terms of, say, we've got to sort out this thing, move it to this from on-prem to the cloud, and we've got to fix our, the, the technology at the, at the core of it. Other times we're brought in to enable digi uh, agility at scale. Um, and that can be inside the marketing function, but it could also be in, in terms of areas like workforce or operations. So we, we like to think, tell us where you are on your digital journey, and then we enable you to get to the outcome of, of what that happens. Um, marketing's in the middle of that, right? And it's really, because that's ultimately uh, where the customer is and where the revenue comes from. So that's often a, the, a critical starting point. When that is mature, then it, um, when there's a mature marketing function and a mature use of data to enable customer insights at scale, then it becomes about operationalizing that. And thus the people need to work in a different way. Um, uh, and we've seen that a lot now, especially because of COVID, because people aren't going into the office anymore. Um, one slight pet peeve I've got just to go on a rant about that people are going, oh, it's the back to work thing now. We never stop working, by the way. It's back to the office that people are talking about, right? 
So that I, I really, that just bugs me when they say back to work. It's like, we never stop working, but uh, slide aside. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that the digitization of the enterprise is different based on different levels of, of the business. And marketing often drives that because of the changing customer needs. Yes, yeah, I get that. Um, I'm aware our time is running short. I've got one last question for you, really. And it's really, um, um, what is the question? How how would you recommend our listeners can kind of arm themselves for what's coming, arm themselves for the world of modern marketing um, and and stay abreast of it all? Well, obviously they can listen to your podcast, Will. It's a good place to start. Um, in, in, in addition to that, I think um, this is the same thing I tell everybody. Um, listen, learn, listen, learn, read, study, keep your eyes and ears open, be open to any and all ideas. Um, you know, I tell um, you know, my team and I tell my kids and myself every day, find time to discover and listen and um, put yourself in the position of not knowing um, and put yourself in a position of, of, oh, this feels weird. I need to know what this is. Um, so that means follow blogs. That means read. That means read the newspaper. That means follow the marketing blogs. That means um, uh, continue to live and absorb as much as you possibly can. Um, there's a tremendous amount of great um, content out there that speaks to this from the mainstream publications to the niche um, digital um, products. Um, so I, I would just say, find the one that resonates with you and, and make sure that you make time in your life to listen and think about it. That's often the problem. It's not a short shortage of places to learn, but to absorb and then act based on what you have discovered. So give yourself time to play. Like, you know, give yourself a little bit, back to that notion of a little bit of your budget, give yourself a little bit of the time to think and to slow down to say, I have the perspective of where I need to go. And then, then you make decisions, right? Then you make decisions and have actions. Yes, it's true. Yeah, if you just spend all your day just firefighting and <laughs> responding to other people's emails, uh, you never get to do that for sure. Um, actually, one last question for you. Just tell our listeners where they can find you and connect with you online. Yeah, well, um, northhighland.com is our um, is the URL. We post all our stuff. We've got blogs. Uh, we've got articles. We've got thought leadership. We put a lot of our best thinking out there. Um, um, and obviously, I appreciate the invitation, um, Will. Really enjoyed um, spending the time with you today and, and look forward to doing this next time. Thanks, Jason. It's been really insightful, actually. Yeah, lots to learn. I could have talked to you all night about it. But um, yeah, thanks very much. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>